from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So back to the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Jonah. Towards the end of the Old Testament, the prophecy of Jonah. Uh, there's also a sermon notes page, as always, uh, there in the bulletin this morning. You can follow along with me if you'd like. There's a quick little summary of it and then uh, some points. We're not going to hit all these things. This is just for you uh, to see and to, uh, to follow along the story uh, of the prophet Jonah. And so we've gone from creation and God's covenants with Father Abram, Abraham, in the book of Genesis. We've gone from that creation, we've gone from that to redemption in the Exodus, to the law of God in Leviticus, to the 40 years of wandering in Numbers, to the second giving of the laws of God in Deuteronomy, and remember that was to that second generation, so God gave the law to that first generation that came out of Egypt in the book of uh, Exodus and Leviticus, uh, and then that second generation that, uh, that was born in the wilderness, uh, they got the law as well a second time. So we've gone from, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, and then from that to the conquest in Joshua, uh, to Israel's disobedience in the story of the judges. We saw that as their desire, the Israelites' desire, that is, for a king like the nations. A king like the nations. Where does that, uh, which book was that? First Samuel. Samuel. And who was that king? The, the Lord gave them like the nations. King Saul. Uh, which tribe was Saul again from? Benjamin. Awesome. Awesome. The tribe of Benjamin. Uh, but which tribe did the Lord say a long time before that? Which was the right tribe for the kings to come out of? The tribe of Judah. Good. So God gave the Israelites their own heart's desire, a king like the nations. And the Lord was in a sense saying, you want a king like the nations? Uh, go ahead and have one. Uh, by the way, he's in the right tribe. And so his, his kingship is not going to last. The Lord, though, raised up a king after his own heart, uh, our, uh, uh, the, the great king himself, David, that was a little bit in 1 Samuel, uh, but mostly in 2 Samuel. And so we've gone from all that to the division of the kingdom uh, after the, uh, David's son Solomon, the time of his son Rehoboam and his servant Jeroboam. Uh, that was in 1 Kings. And then last Sunday, we ended the sort of the big narrative of the history of God's people uh, in 2 Kings. So we've gone, we've gone from creation uh, and redemption, and the conquest of the land, to the division of the, the people of God, all the way to their exile. So from creation all the way to their exile. And it's in the time of Second Kings that we begin to read in our Old Testament, our, in our Bibles, that the prophets of the Old Testament that we are mostly familiar with, that those prophets ministered to the people of God. So in the north there was Israel, in the south there was Judah. In the t and uh, this morning I want us to go back in history. So we've got all the way to 2 Kings, the very end. Uh, we saw there the king of Judah, uh, strangely, he was uh, walking and talking and eating and dining and sitting at a table uh, with the king of Babylon, so strangely. Uh, but I want to go back in time uh, into 2 Kings and to see uh, uh, some of the prophets of the Old Testament. And so we're going to come back uh, then to the north, to the kingdom of Israel, before its invasion into uh, Assyria in the year 722 B.C. And we want to turn there uh, and look at the prophecy of Jonah. Now, if you go back to 2 Kings, I think I mentioned this last Sunday, but if you go back to 2 Kings chapter number 14, uh, you'll see something interesting. So 2 Kings chapter number 14 uh, you see there, beginning at verse 23, the reign of Jeroboam II. So Jeroboam was that first king of Israel uh, who made idols and high places. And so this is Jeroboam II. Uh, he did what was evil in God's sight. But notice in verse 25 that Jeroboam, although he did lots of evil, he restored the border of Israel from Libo Hamat as far as the Sea of the Arabah. Notice this, according to the word of the Lord. So God had made a word, and a promise, a prophecy that Jeroboam was going to restore the kingdom of Israel, their borders, because they had been assaulted for a generation or so from the north, from the Syrians. And so according to the word of the Lord, King Jeroboam II restored the boundaries of the northern kingdom of Israel. Notice this, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. 
So Jonah has been mentioned in 2 Kings, and so we want to go back then and think about, uh, well, what about Jonah? What else did he do and say? And we actually have a book called the Book of Jonah or the Prophecy of Jonah that we'll see this morning. And so during the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel, the Lord raised up the prophet Jonah to preach, on the one hand, the restoration of their borders, that's 2 Kings 14.25, but most especially we see in the prophecy of Jonah to preach repentance to the world power of the Assyrian Empire. So that's very strange to us because this this is a Jewish prophet. He was a northern Jewish prophet, but yet he was called by God not only to preach and to prophesy to his own people, but to preach to the world, to preach to the nations, to spread the gospel. But in this case, it was to spread uh, repentance, notice, to the kingdom of the Assyrians, to one of their cities, their great cities, Nineveh. So we're coming to Jonah this morning. So we're doing a big survey of the Bible. Uh, that's why we're in Jonah this morning. And so we're going to come to Jonah. So we're going to take the Old Testament a little bit out of order, uh, but hopefully it'll make some sense to you. And it'll be interesting to see the chronology of the Old Testament and where the prophets at the end of our Old Testament actually fit kind of towards the middle. Uh, and you'll, you'll see it all in uh, hopefully interesting. So we have in Jonah uh, this, this very, one of the more, more famous prophets of the Old Testament. So kids, the prophet Jonah, fill in the blank. When I, say the, when I say the prophet Jonah, what do you think about? Like eating fish? Fish and chips? No? Pescado ranchero? No? <laughs> a big fish, right? Or a whale. And what did that big fish or that whale do? Swallowed up the prophet Jonah. And then what? And then what? The fish got an upset stomach and threw him up, didn't he, on the beach. So we we know the prophet Jonah. We think of the prophet Jonah as Jonah and the whale, right? Jonah and the fish. But that's just a small part of the story. This is is a great prophecy. Only four chapters, but just a wonderful prophecy. So uh, again, have your Bible open to Jonah, and we're going to go through. So this prophecy, the Lord calls him to be a prophet. That's right at the beginning of chapter 1. And then you see the very same thing again in chapter 3. So the Lord calls him twice. So he's called to go prophesy to the Ninevites. And then he's called again in chapter 3 to go prophesy to the Ninevites. So in between all that is where the action's at. So just look at that. Notice uh, chapters 1 and 2, the Lord calls him to prophesy. prophesy. Uh, And we read this very interesting phrase. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying. So if we were in English class, we would call that a personification, uh, something that's inanimate, a thing that's not a person, but being described in personal terms uh, with personal attributes. So you have here the word coming to Jonah. That sounds strange. The words have feet, legs, the words walk. That sounds interesting. Uh, And this word spoke, notice. The word, notice, came, and the word said. I thought words were the things that were said. So it's being, this, this word is being personified uh, as moving towards Jonah, the prophet, and this word speaks very strangely. Now, there's more going on here, of course, than just this little phrase. Uh, and I've been pointing these things out all throughout uh, our survey so far, that there are these, uh, these, these Old Testament, uh, very kind of shadowy and kind of vague at times or kind of veiled by some darkness, it feels like, in the Old Testament. Uh, some, some ways in which God speaks of himself that we can, as believers and Christians, uh, with the resurrection of Christ, we can now begin to see, aha, that makes some, some more sense to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's not just that, 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 that the Word is personified, which is true, but in a true way, this, this is the Son of God. This is the Lord himself who's coming to the prophet and calling him to prophesy. So the Lord is coming to him. Uh, and notice, as uh, the Lord comes to him... Jonah is trying to get away from the Lord. 
Arise, the Lord says. Go out to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that. From whom did, the, did Jonah flee? From whom did Jonah flee? The word, but who's the word? Look at verse 3. The presence of the Lord. Again, look at verse number 4. Uh, we, we see that. Or, uh, uh, verse number, uh, uh, verse 3, excuse me, there it is, verse 3. Away from the presence of the Lord. It's mentioned there twice. Uh, and then again in verse number uh, 10, uh, he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So he's not just fleeing from some vague words. He's fleeing from the Lord, who is the Word. He's fleeing from, we might say, he's fleeing from Jesus. Now, what was this Word's message to Jonah? Again, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Uh, where's Nineveh in relationship to the northern kingdom of Israel? Anybody know? Brother, Brother Al knows, but uh, anybody else know? It's north. This is north, okay? A tad bit east, but mostly to the north. So he's called to go north and to preach against Nineveh. Notice, against Nineveh, uh, because its evil had come up, this sort of metaphorical language came up before the very face of God himself. But again, verse 3 tells us that he fled. So the Lord comes to Jonah, but Jonah wants to get away from the Lord, notice. He rose, just like the Lord said, arise. Notice that again, verse 2, arise, and that's exactly what Jonah does. He arises to do what? To leave. Not to go to Nineveh, but to flee to Tarshish. But not just, again, not just that, but from the presence of the Lord. And Tarshish, uh, by best accounts, by best uh, uh, ancient scholarship, was uh, an ancient city called Tar Tarsessos in what is today uh, southern Spain. It was a port city. As far as you can get all the way to the west in the Mediterranean Sea, almost past the, the Rock of Gibraltar, almost out to the Atlantic Sea. So this is as far, the Atlantic Ocean, this is as far as you can get from Nineveh on an ocean in the ancient world. Uh, and again, by best accounts, a ship like this would have uh, cost a great amount of money to get onto because these ships would cross the Mediterranean and stop in various ports and uh, unload goods and take on goods and trade and so forth. And a trip like this from Joppa all the way to the west to Tarsessos or Tarshish and back would have taken about a year. So Jonah was not, a, was not planning to do anything which the Lord said. He was planning to hide and to run away from God. And that's what he does. He goes down to Joppa. Notice he's called to arise, to go up, but instead he goes down to Joppa and he finds there a ship that's going there uh, to Tarshish. Notice that again, uh, he arises to flee to Tarshish. The text mentions a second time now that he found a ship that's going to Tarshish. That's emphasizing this. It's repeating this, okay, to impress upon us his disobedience. Uh, he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them, those uh, who are manning the ship, to go with them where? To go with, him, to, with them where again, loved ones? Tarshish. How many times, just in that one verse, is Tarshish mentioned? Three times. Come on, people. Come on. Brother Larry sent me a great email about my math a few weeks ago, so I'm expecting you to keep me on task here with, with the math. I'm pretty sure if I count it up in verse 3 how many times Tarshish is mentioned, I'm pretty sure it's three times. Okay, Our kids got it this morning, but how about us, the rest of us? Okay, How many times? Three times, all right? Why? Why not just mention it once? Well, this is an emphasis, right? This is an emphasis. The Lord's saying something to us here. He's going as far away again as he possibly can. Notice the second time we're told, away from the presence of the Lord. But can you really flee from God's presence? Lord, if I was to ascend into the heavens, the psalmist would, would say once, or if I would descend into the very depths of the earth, thou art with me. You can't escape God. But, verse 4, but, 
The Lord calls him, Jonah responds, the Lord responds back. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. This reminds us of the, of the Exodus. It reminds us of the Red Sea. The Lord sent an east wind to that in that case, to split the sea in two. This time, he sends a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? It sounds like the Lord is sending some kind of a judgment, or at minimum, some kind of a discipline upon Jonah. And notice the response of Jonah's fellow passengers. Notice there's a few things that they do in response to this great storm and their ship about to uh, be be, uh, cast into the depths of the Mediterranean. Verse 5, each cried out to his God. That's, That's the first thing an ancient person does, to cry out to God. What's the first thing we would do today? Get on our cell phone, right? Call the Uh, call the Coast Guard or call somebody that we love and tell them, you know, the ship's going down, uh, send some help. They cried out to God or their God. Notice, secondly, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So perhaps the ship was too too, too heavy. Uh, They had to raise the ship up in the water so that it wasn't going to to sink as quickly. And so they, they hurl away some cargo. Third, notice Jonah was down in the inner part of the ship. What's he doing there? Verse 5. Are you serious? There's a a storm in the sea, and the ship's about to to be torn apart, and he's asleep. That's how much he is spiritually asleep, loved ones, to what God has called him to do. The captain commands him, just like God had commanded him, notice. God, again, there uh, says in verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh. And now here's the captain of the ship saying, arise. Call out to your God, verse number 6. And they then cast lots, verse 7 tells us, uh, to know on whose account this evil has come. Who sinned? Whose God is sending this wind and this storm? And they cast lots, these little straws, and they're all different lengths, kids. And if I was to take like five pieces of grass from across the street, and they were all like different sizes, and I was to put my hand like this, and I would put them all like they looked even, right? There are five little straws, but I can see which one's the shortest, which one's the longest. And every in five of you, I'd say, hey, get up here and pull a straw, pull a lot. And whoever got the shortest or the longest, whichever one I decided, that one was in trouble, right? That one was the one uh, who was uh, responsible for this. So they, they cast these lots. They, they pull these little straws up or something like that uh, to find out who was responsible. And the lot fell on Jonah, verse 7 says. And they interrogate him. What's your occupation? Uh, Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? Verse 8. And so Jonah, for the first time, does something here responsible. He kind of steps up here and, and, and he tells the truth about himself and even the Lord. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Notice that. What an ironical statement. I fear the Lord, although I'm asleep on a ship that's being blown about by the Lord because I've left his presence, left his presence, trying to run away from him. And he made the sea and the dry land. So he's here confessing the wonderful truth of Genesis 1, that God has made everything. Look at verse 10. The men were exceedingly afraid. So notice that, that we've, we've seen this before in the Old Testament, this language of fear of God, fearing the Lord. Uh, Jonah's confessing to fear the Lord, meaning to have a reverence of God. They're afraid of God, right? That's the difference between fear and being afraid. So he says he fears the Lord, but they're afraid of God. Why? They knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Didn't Jesus say, don't cast your pearls before swine? (laughs) Like, why would you tell these pagans that you're fleeing from your God? What kind of a witness is that? And so they have a plan of action that the sea might quiet down because the sea grew even more and more tempestuous, verse 11 says. And so Jonah chimes in with a bright idea here. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. It's a great idea, isn't it? I mean, is this Michael Phelps here? Could he swim? Probably not. Probably not. In the ancient world, probably couldn't swim. 
Why? He says to do that. Why, well, why does he say to do that? Verse 12. The sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So he has some awareness of what he's doing, right? This is willful. This is willful. But notice these pagans have more mercy upon him. They, instead, they want to row the ship back to dry land. Instead of killing him and being liable for his death, they want to row the ship to dry land, but that ain't going to work. The sea grew even more, verse 13, tempestuous against them. So the more, they, the more they tried, the more Jonah tried to kind of get out of this situation, the more God sent wind. Now notice this. As Jonah has been running from the Lord, or sailing from the Lord, we might say, As he's been doing that, even so much as to offer himself in a sort of murder-suicide pact with his shipmates, it's the pagans who seek the Lord's help. Look at verse 14. Right, this, is, this, this is astonishing to us. It's, sort of a, and it's also a literary foreshadowing of what's going to happen uh, in Nineveh. Therefore, they, the pagans, the shipmates, the, the non-Israelites, the non-Hebrews, the, uh, the non-worshippers of Yahweh, they called out to whom? The Lord. All capital letters, that's the Lord's name, Yahweh. So they originally they were calling out to their own gods, whichever gods they serve. But now they were calling out to the Lord. Oh, Lord! Notice this. These are, these are Gentiles. These are dirty sinners, right? Filthy, rotten sinners. But they're using God's name upon their own lips. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it please you. They are aware that we can't throw this guy in this, into the sea. Jonah's ministry of preaching and repentance is already bearing fruit and he hasn't even said a word about it. Notice that. That's how miraculous God is. That even if preachers refuse to preach, trust me, the Lord's word will conquer. The gospel will go out. Repentance and faith will go out. Jesus said uh, in his own day that uh, even if the people of God in, in Jerusalem wouldn't cry out, he would raise up rocks to cry out to him and praise him, wouldn't he? So here's Jonah, the preacher, the prophet, who's refusing to preach and prophesy, but yet here's God doing his work nonetheless. And so they pick him up, they hurl him out into the sea, the sea ceases from its raging, verse 15. Now look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So Jonah professes to fear God. They're afraid of what's happening, but now they are beginning to evidence that they have some godly fear of the Lord. And notice what they do. They offer a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's, those are things that priests do in the Old Testament. They were afraid, now they fear the Lord exceedingly. It's evident in how they prayed their fear of the Lord, their reverence for God, because they offer sacrifices and make vows. So all this is going on, and now notice what the Lord does. Verse 17. So the Lord calls him to go. He won't. The Lord sends a strong wind to cause a storm, and Jonah doesn't get the, the memo, and he decides that it's better to kill himself than to obey the Lord. Uh, and so we have the Lord responding, and the, people, the men of the ship respond, and they do so in a more godly way than even Jonah. But now notice what the Lord does, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish. Here, here's the fish to swallow up Jonah. He was there in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That, that language of three days and three nights is used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. I'll come to that in just a bit. So we move to chapter 2, and here's Jonah's prayer. So all that's going on. We have God's call, Jonah's response, the people's response, uh, Jonah's other response, and now we have God's response. This is back and forth. And here's finally what Jonah does. His amazing prayer. Now, recognize that there's a great spiritual lesson here for us. And I'll put it like this. Sometimes we, sometimes we need God to do something drastic uh, in our lives, to awaken in us a sense of awe of him and a sense of our own need. <clears throat> That's what's going on here. 
when does Jonah pray? Like, what's happening in his heart that he finally prays? Right? Everyone's crying out to their gods. The captain tells him to cry out to his god. We never read on the ship that he cries out to the Lord. But only that they, the pagans who cried out to pagan gods, they cry out to the Lord. And finally he cries out to the Lord. Right? It's only when he's utterly humiliated and humbled that he cries out to the Lord. But also notice this. His being swallowed up by this, by this whale, this great fish, it's actually an act of mercy. Right? He's telling, he's telling the, these fellow sailors to murder him, to help him commit suicide by throwing him out into the sea so that he would die, so that he would not have to obey the Lord and go to Nineveh and preach. And we'll come to why. The Lord, he knows why, and he tells the Lord later on why. So the Lord sends this great fish that swallows him up, and we think that he's done for and it's over with, and this is the great judgment. It's actually a, it's actually a work of mercy. We think it seals his fate, but it actually saves him. You see, sometimes what we perceive as God judging us is actually God being merciful to us, amen? We think, well, you know, that happened to me and, you know, God must be angry at me. Or this person said that about me or that they, they did that to me because I've done something wrong, you know, God's judging me, how can God love me? Sometimes we feel that way because it's actually God doing that thing and it's a mercy to bring us back to him. What did he pray? He prays like, like Old Testament psalm uh, writers would pray. I call out to the Lord, verse 2, out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, this is the grave, this is death itself, I cried, and you heard my voice. After all that Jonah did to disobey a direct order from the Lord, when he cried out to that very same Lord, the Lord heard his prayer. Notice that. He directly disobeyed the Lord. He even refused to pray to the Lord. But when he did pray to the Lord, what did the Lord do? Did the Lord say, first of all, Jonah, okay. Did he say to you or to me? Does he do this to us? Okay, finally, you're going you're, you're to cry out to me? Good. Let me set it up for you. There's this hoop right here. with a, It's flaming with fire. And right behind that is a lion that hasn't eaten in three days. Jonah, jump to the flaming hoop. Dodge the hungry lion. And then I'm going to answer you. Did the Lord say that? That's how we think. You know, the Lord can't hear me. The Lord can't answer me. The Lord would never save me unless I, you know, I really do something to impress him. So he disobeys multiple times here. And when he finally is humbled enough to cry out to the Lord, what does the Lord do? The Lord hears him. The Lord hears him. Maybe you need to hear that today. I know I do. What have you done? What sin have you committed? The Lord is ready and willing to hear. That's the gospel. Cry out to him and he'll hear you. The Lord saves sinners, doesn't he? Verse 3 is really fascinating. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. <clears throat> Jonah is describing here that the Lord was directly involved in putting him out of that boat and into the sea. Notice that. You cast me into the deep. All your waves, your billows passed over me. But what did, verse, or, but what did chapter 1 say? How did, how did chapter 1 describe this very thing? Chapter 1, verse 15. They, his shipmates, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Do you see that? The hands of these sinful men took him and threw him out into the water. But when Jonah comes to his senses, what does he say about that situation? Who actually threw him in? 
the Lord did. I mean, again, we got to catch that. We can. We we need to learn that. We live in a in a we we are we live in a bubble of our time and place and uh, in history, and we live in a very materialistic, a very this worldly centered world. We are bombarded with. Uh, Science, so scientific stuff all the time. Uh, C.S. Lewis called it scientism, right? The, the, the religion of science and the belief in science. Uh, we were uh, driving a couple days ago and uh, Sadie was listening to music and an ad came on for a certain pill and Sadie know, knows the jingle, <laughs> right? The world like catechizes us and teaches us about, you know, you just take that pill and that pill is going to solve all your problems, right? So that's scientism. That's, that's a materialistic world. But notice what Jonah is teaching us is that God is directly involved. God is intimately involved in the affairs of not just the world in general, but the lives of believers, right? God works all things, even evil things, for the good of those who love him. And then he says, I'm driven away from your sight. That's what he was trying to do, notice. Chapter 1 again. He was trying to go away from the Lord, but he's saying here, I was driven away from your sight. He wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord, as chapter 1 told us multiple times. And by having the men on the ship th- uh, 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 throw him overboard, the Lord was saying to him, you want to go away from me? Have it your way. Go to death itself. But we hear Jonah's faith in verse 4. In the middle of his disobedience, in the middle of his being humbled and his experiencing now this, this chastisement, this fatherly correction of God, even this what felt to him as a judgment, it felt like death itself, uh, verse 4 says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And that should be, the, that, that should be a wow statement to us. He believed if... It was God's will to put him to death, to send him overboard into the sea to drown and not to be swallowed up by this big fish. So be it. But he also knew, since the Lord had called him to preach, the Lord was going to resurrect him. That's what he's saying right there. This is just like Father Abraham. He promises him that he's going to bless all the nations and he's going to have as many children as the sand of the stars, but yet he gets older and older and older. His wife is barren. He has no son, let alone sons, plural. He doesn't even have one. And he finally miraculously has that one son. His wife conceives in her old age and the Lord opens up her womb and his son is born, Isaac. And what does the Lord say to do to Isaac? Sacrifice, put him to death. Was Abraham going to go through, that, uh, go through with that? Why? Why would he do that? Why would Abraham sacrifice his only son, the son that he loved, his firstborn son, which he was praying for and longing for and even slipping into sin because it wasn't happening, uh, and he has that son, why would he go through putting him to death? Because, as Hebrews tells us, chapter number 11, that he believed that God could raise the dead. If God can make the heavens and the earth, God can certainly raise up one human body. And so Jonah says, Lord, you've called me to preach. You've called me to go to Nineveh. And you throw me into the sea to kill me. I know that you're going to resurrect me. That's that's what he's saying here. He has faith. And we're seeing here in in an ancient way, uh, in this ancient prophecy, in this strange event of uh, Jonah and his his disobedience and even feeling suicidal and wanting to end his life uh, and the Lord sending a judgment upon him, we're seeing in all that something of a shadow of a coming Savior. A day was going to come when people would ask Jesus, saying, or demand of him, that is, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. They liked asking him for signs, didn't they? But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given, except one sign. What was that one sign? The sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights, there's that phrase, three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh, here's what Jesus goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, this generation, that generation there. For they repent of the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's that something greater? Jesus, right? The Lord, the word of the Lord that came to Jonah is now in human flesh, right in front of their eyes. And just as Jonah was, was, was swallowed up into death three days and three nights in the, heart of the, in the heart of the earth, so our Lord was going to be raised up to newness of life. And so Jonah is crying out here, the waters are closing in over him to take my life. Uh, the deep was surrounding him. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down the land whose bars closed up me forever. He's describing death there, in, in, back to uh, Jonah 2. He's describing death, but he believed. Verse 4. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He recounts his faith. Again, verse number 7. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And in contrast to those pagans who prayed earlier to their pagan gods, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. For I, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I, have offered, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord taught him a lesson, didn't he? He learned the lesson, and so what did the Lord do in response? Verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So the Lord called him. He does it again. This, uh, chapter 3 and 4 is a little, little more quickly than that. Uh, but he's called again. Notice that, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. He's called again. Uh, the stage is set here for his reissuing of a call the second time. Uh, you see that there. And you see Jonah, instead of running from God's presence like he did in chapter 1, now he actually obeys God. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now Jonah is transformed. When God works in our lives, even what we consider to be harsh ways, he's doing it in his mercy, it transforms us, it changes us. So Jonah arose. Remember that in, verse, uh, in the first call, he said, arise, right? Go up to Nineveh. And he does that now. He arose. He didn't go down to Joppa, which led him down to death. Now he arises and he goes to Nineveh according to the word of God. The Lord. That's the same exact phrase that I read for you from 2 Kings 14.25. That the Lord's, according to the Lord's word, through Jonah, Jeroboam II's kingdom was established. So Jonah is doing that again. He's experiencing that again. He's fulfilling again his call as a prophet, doing what God said to do. At the end of verse 3, we're told that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. It's a very large city. Uh, and so the best place to preach is in the middle of it. And so he goes in verse 4, takes him about a day or so journey. He gets somewhere into the kingdom, uh, a third of the way uh, in there. He's in, in a place where he's going to be heard. And we, be, we begin to read of his preaching. The preaching that, that the Lord gave him, the word the Lord gave him, verse 4. Yet 40 days. Here's, here's, here's his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wouldn't you all wish I only had a one-sentence sermon today? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yikes, right? That's it? That's the whole sermon? This great power in the world at that time on Israel's northern border. And he's called to go to them and to preach against them. And for him as an Israelite in the north, because they had been assaulted by the Syrians, and now there's this great power, the Assyrian Empire, that was just a bit further out there on the horizon. And they were threatening... They were threatening to invade and to overthrow. This must have been a very thrilling word that God gave to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. The first time you didn't want to listen to me. Jonah, I've got something good to say to you. You want to go and say this. Trust me, this message is one that you want to speak. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And no doubt Jonah was thrilled by that message. Yes. The borders of my king and my kingdom have been reestablished. And now the, the power that's threatening us again is going to be overthrown. I mean, which northern Israelite would not want to preach that message? 
Against, notice that it's a preaching against this kingdom. But as they say, Houston, we've got a problem, right? And, or but, the people of Nineveh believed God. (laughs) That did not go according to plan, does it? And the people of Nineveh call out for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest person down to the least person. Go and preach against them that they only got 40 days to live. And Jonah is like, yes, they believe, though. And the word even reached the king of Nineveh, verse 6. And look at what he did. He arose from his throne. There's that language again. He arose, right? This is obeying. He obeyed God, the voice of God. He arose from his throne. He removed his kingly robes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he sat in ashes. This is is how you showed humility and repentance in the ancient world. And he issued a proclamation throughout all of Nineveh. You see that in verses 7 through 9. And notice the Lord's merciful response. When God saw what they did, how they turned. Remember uh, a few weeks past when we went through the book of Ruth? I mentioned to you uh, in Ruth, there was a, uh, there's, a, there's a Hebrew verb that's used multiple times. That Hebrew verb is shuv, which is the, the language of turning. It's literal turning, but it's the theological idea of repentance. So when it says that they, they turned from their evil way, right? This is repentance. When they repented, they turned from themselves and their evil ways to the Lord. That's what repentance is. We turn from ourselves to the Lord. God relented of the disaster that he had said would, that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Lord, this is the pagan kingdom on the horizon of our just restored kingdom, and you're going to save them? You're going to allow them to continue to haunt us? You begin to see here, as, I, as the sermon title says, that Jonah is an angry prophet of a, a God who is slow to anger. Look at chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Now, he went from the thrill of preaching against this kingdom. He got to do something that few people get to do, preach against the kingdom, and judgment comes. But yet they all turn. They all listen to his words. They all believe his words. They repent. They turn from themselves to the Lord. And that made him angry. Notice his prayer. He's, now he, now he, he, he goes back in time and he tells the Lord why he initially refused that call. Oh Lord, look at verse 2. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, when the Lord called him the first time? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. What what did he say? Why did he flee in haste? Look at the rest of verse 2. For I knew, because I knew, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. this This is the exact thing if you, know, if we, you know your Bible, if you remember the story, if we've gone through it so far, this is the exact thing the Lord, this very phrase here, a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That's the exact description which the Lord himself gave to Moses. Remember that? The Lord told Moses, that they, they, built, golden, they built a golden calf. I'm going to wipe them all out and start over just with you, Moses. And Moses prays, Lord, do not do that. No, Lord. The Lord relented. And then the, he said, Lord. And the Lord, uh, the, the Lord then called him and said, go. Go uh, to the promised land, but I'm not going to go. Right? These people are wicked. You want them to be saved? I'll save them. But you go. And, and Moses did what? Lord, how can we go without you? If you don't go up with us, Lord, this is, this is disaster. But Lord, show us your glory. Show me your glory. Go with us, Lord. And the Lord said, you can't see me face to face or you will die. 
but instead I'm going to put you in this little, this little crack in a, in a rock somewhere out in the desert, and I'm going to pass by. When I pass by, I'm going to proclaim my own name. I'm going to explain who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah knows his Old Testament. He went to Sabbath school. He went to Sunday school. He learned his Bible. Lord, I knew that this is exactly who you are. That if I went and preached to Nineveh, that they were going to die in 40 days, I knew that they would repent. I knew that you were a God who was merciful and gracious, a God who was slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from disaster. But Jonah is angry because God kept his own word. Therefore now, O Lord, verse 3, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's, he's spiritually, he's back in the boat right? He's back in the boat. He wants to end his life rather than see the spiritually dead come to new life. Lord, it's better for me to die. Just take me out. Why did you send me to do this? I knew this was going to happen. The Lord asks him a very simple question. Verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? Notice the Lord doesn't answer the question, does he? He's mad at God. And the Lord simply asks him, do you do well to, do, to be angry? What do you think the implied answer to that is? <laughs> it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You don't do well to be angry. You're just a servant. You're just a preacher. You're just a prophet. Your job is to simply say what I tell you to say. Don't be angry. Rejoice that I've shown myself to be merciful and gracious to other people outside of your own little tribe. And so Jonah kind of hunches his shoulders down, his tail between his legs. What was me? He goes out of the city. He goes to the east of the city. Notice that he goes farther out of the city. He goes the opposite direction, right? Originally he went west, Tarshish. Now he's, he's going further east now and he sits outside the city. He makes a little booth for himself there, this little hut to sit out there in the desert under the shade to see what was going to become of the city. He's just there for the show, right? He's just got his popcorn. He's just watching the show. What's the Lord going to do here? Lord, I did my job. I preached. You, you saved them. I'm not, I'm not happy about it. Fine. I'm going to sit over here in the desert, this little hut I built, and just see what happens. The Lord does something incredible. He appoints a plant and makes it come up over Jonah. He builds this little hut. The Lord sends this plant that grows and it shades him. It saves him, verse 6 says, from his discomfort. Don't forget he's out in the hot desert. And to this angry Jonah, uh, uh, to this angry Jonah was exceedingly glad, notice in verse 6, because of the plant. He just was happy that he has a nice shade in the desert. But shade doesn't last very long. When the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. This worm ate the roots, no longer could it sustain itself, and it withered up and dried away, and the wind, the hot, uh, notice the, hot, the sun rose, verse 8, God appointed again a scorching east wind, the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, right? He was feeling like he was going to die. Look at, look at it again, verse 8, it's better for me to die than to live. Like we would call that heat stroke. But he wants to die. It's better for me to die than to live. And so God asked Jonah another question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And this time the Lord gives us an answer. What's the answer? You did nothing. You didn't even, you didn't even plant the seed of the plant. You did nothing to cause it to grow. And you're going to be angry that it's gone? It wasn't even in the first place. And notice his answer. Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Parents know, know that, that kind of response from our kids, right? This is a sulking child of the gracious providence of God. And the Lord instructs him. The Lord teaches him, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night, right? It's not about you, Jonah. Again, you're a servant, you're a prophet. Your job is to do what I tell you to do. 
And notice what the Lord says, verse 11. This is how the, this, the prophecy ends, just on this cliffhanger. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You see, loved ones, the Lord is a merciful and a gracious God. And there's even times when believers, like Jonah, Christians, are horrible, horrible people. They sin, they disobey, they don't listen to God, and they act like it. And it makes the Lord look terrible. And it makes him look unattractive to anybody who is outside of Jesus Christ, who's looking for answers. But notice how the Lord brings it all back to himself. Should I not pity Nineveh? That's the question for us to ponder as we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has come and to bring salvation to the world. And he's come and he's called the church to go into the nations and to preach the gospel. And he asks us, should I not pity Oceanside? Should I not pity Carlsbad? Should I not pity San Diego? Are we going to stand in his way? Put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and follow the Lord. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and follow the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to do so in times when it doesn't feel convenient to us, doesn't feel comfortable to us, it's hard for us, it's perplexing to us, but help us to trust you and to follow after you. We thank you this morning for the word that uh, encourages us that Jesus Christ came to, to pay the price for us and to do all the things that we can't do for ourselves, but it also challenges us to, to listen as we sang from Psalm number 95, to hear your voice. Give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive, and give us mouths, Lord, to go and to speak to all who would hear of your great pity, your great mercy, your great grace. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen.